listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Bauckham. Welcome to the Save the Marriage podcast. This is the podcast designed to help you save your marriage, no matter where you are, no matter what the state, to get it to the place where you have created a marriage that you and your spouse want, will save, will work towards, will cherish, and will have everything you want in it, all the happiness you want in it, which really is part of what we want to talk about today. Just for your information, this is episode number 365. There are a few extra bonus episodes, but this is episode number 365, which means that if you went back and started at the very beginning, there is now one year's worth if you listen once a day. I don't know why you would. (laughs) I don't know why you would want to listen to my voice every day, but if you chose to, if you wanted that information, you could listen to one episode a day and it would take you a year to get to the end, at which point I would have added probably another 52 along the way, plus my other podcast, the Thrivology Podcast, which is about how to thrive in your life. We're now up to about episode 330, so you now have about or two years worth, and by the time you get through that, two and a half, almost three years worth if you listen once a day. Crazy thing about this, this podcast has now been listened to around the world over 3 million times. Kind of crazy to think that. But what that tells me is that you and lots of others are in your very spot wanting to do just what you want to do, save your marriage and restore it. Now, the beginning point of many marriage crises starts with the same phrase. I know because I've heard it so many times where spouse is, I'm just not happy. I'm just not happy. And because of that phrase, it often begins a loop into what to do. Because I'm not happy often leads to what are we going to do about this? So if a spouse says, I'm not happy, your first inclination may be to say, then how can I make my spouse happy? Your goal ends up being to make your spouse happy. So now let me rip that away and let you know that that is not within your capacity, nor is it the point of saving your relationship. Just because they said they're not happy doesn't mean you can A, make them happy, or B, that that would transform your marriage. Now let me tell you why that is. When that is your goal, you will fail at the goal of making someone else happy just like you probably have multiple times before when you've been trying to change how anybody else in your life feels. Maybe you grew up in a household where you felt like you were responsible for how your parents were feeling or how your siblings were feeling or how your friends were feeling. Or maybe you ended up in other dating relationships where it was put upon you that your responsibility was making that person happy. Or maybe you've even fallen into that trap in your marriage where you felt like that was your task. So let me take that away from you. It is not your capacity of making anybody happy, nor is it anybody's capacity to make you happy. In fact, that's a trap. That's a trap that will keep you stuck. It's a trap that will keep you on the hamster wheel of trying to figure out how to get to a better place by making someone else happy. There's a little thing behind that that's called control. 
So now let's talk a little bit about what that means. I've talked about this on other podcast episodes, both here and in my Thrivology podcast. But let me just tell you very briefly about my uh, kind of my model of what we can control and therefore what we can't control. So if you think just for a moment about all the things that you have within your control, I want to narrow down the possibilities of what you have to three things. And if you think of about a big circle, in that circle might be all of the things that you want to control, all the things that you want to, to control, maybe for good reasons, maybe for not so good reasons, but you want to control. So maybe you've got kids and you want to control their behavior or their success in life, or maybe you've got parents that you're concerned about and you want to control what they do that might put them at risk, or maybe you have friends and you want them to live their best life, and so you want to control some of the things they do. Or maybe at work, you want to control things. Maybe you have a boss that you feel uh, isn't doing what they need to do, and so you need to control that. Or maybe you have workers that you feel like you need to control to make sure that things operate at their best. None of those are within your actual control. They're in your sphere of concern, your circle of concern. They're the things that you are concerned about, and it can be much broader than just other people. It could be where the country is, where uh, the weather is, where, where the environment's going. I mean, lots of different things can be in your place. If there's something that you go, you know, I'm concerned about this, that can fall in that circle. The problem is we tend to think that there's somewhere we need to reach into that circle and find some way of controlling it. But we can't. Now, if you think about one small little circle that you're sitting within, that circle is your circle of control. It's what you can control. So let me tell you very simply what you can control. Your aspirations, your attitude, and your actions. That's it. Three A's. Aspirations, actions, attitude. Your aspirations, those are your dreams, your hopes, your, your things you want to accomplish in life. They're kind of your goals. You aspire to that. Now, on the backside of your aspirations are your fears, which you don't control. You don't have control over what fears pop into your head. You do have control on how much energy you're going to give them and how much attention you're going to give them. But the fact that the fears pop in is because your brain is designed to be looking for any threats out there, the fears that you need to be concerned about. So they pop up and say, what about this? What about this? What about this? They can distract you. But you don't choose them. You just choose how much energy you're putting into them. You do get to choose your aspirations. Maybe you decide that you want to accomplish something. You got to choose what you're wanting to accomplish, your goals in life, what you're hoping for. The places that bring you a sense of purpose, they are in your choice. Not whether you accomplish them, but you get to choose that they are the things you want to work towards, things you want to move towards. Those are your aspirations. Your attitude. This is not whether you get to choose to have a positive attitude all the time. I mean, that you can put that in if you want to, that that's one of the things you aspire to. But that's not what I'm really talking about with your attitude. You get to choose whether you're going to see things as you can or you can't. You'll figure it out or you'll walk away. That's your attitude. How you orient yourself towards something. So you get to choose that. Most people uh, kind of act as if they don't have a choice about that. And so I'm just reminding you, you actually do have a choice. You can say, you know what, I'm going to figure this out. 
And if you say, I can't figure this out, I'm walking away, that was also within your power to choose. You have that power to choose that. That's in your control. So we get to choose that. And the third thing we get to choose are our actions. What we do, what we don't do, what we say, what we don't say. We get to choose that. So that's it. Those are what you can control. Your attitude, your aspirations, your actions. I want you to notice what is obviously outside of that. What you can't control. You don't get to choose other people's aspirations. You don't get to choose your spouse's aspirations, goals, desires in life. You can't choose that for your kids either. They ultimately get to. You can keep telling them what they should be doing, but you're not really choosing it for them. They get to choose that. You also can't choose their attitude. Maybe a spouse says, I can't do this anymore. You don't get to choose whether they're going to turn that around or not. You also don't get to choose whether they say, we can figure this out. That is in their capacity of choosing. You also don't get to choose their actions. As much as we want to do that, and you might say, you can't do this to me, that is setting a boundary, and I've talked about that in other episodes, but what they choose to act, how they choose to act, what they choose to say or don't say, how they choose to act or not act, that is within their choice. But I want you just to extrapolate a little bit about that, because what you notice is you also don't have control over anybody else's emotional state. You can't make somebody happy. You don't have control over that. You can't make somebody feel a certain way. You can't make somebody angry. They're reacting to you. You can't make somebody happy. They're choosing how they're going to feel. You can't choose somebody else's emotional state or their reactions or even their beliefs about things. One of the interesting things is watching how much destruction is done by people trying to change somebody else's belief. What they're trying to say is, you're wrong, I'm right, let me tell you the right way of viewing things. That's challenging their belief. It rarely moves the needle at all. And yet, we spend countless time and energy trying to affect somebody else's belief system. We do it every day. They might change their beliefs, but it's not your place to control that. They might change their emotional uh, uh, state, but it's their choice. They might change how they react to something, but that's their choice. So we can't make somebody else happy. If your spouse says, I'm not happy... Your solution is not to say, then I will figure out how to make them happy. That's a trap. It's not a trap they're setting. It's a trap that you're creating. You'll spend a lot of time trying to figure out what it would be that would make them happy, and you're missing all the potential of doing the other pieces of this puzzle of saving your relationship. So we have to step away from that need to try to make somebody happy. Just lock that away. So there are some points that you might want to think about as you try to change that, as you try to move away from that. The first thing is an acknowledgement. You can't make someone happy, 
but you can make someone miserable. I mean, kind of, not entirely, but you can do things that will make somebody miserable. You don't have the capacity of making them happy, but we can do very destructive things to other people. We can choose to fight with them, argue with them, put them down. We can do lots of things. Now, I said kind of make them miserable because we still choose how we respond to things. Long ago, back in the 70s, there was a whole movement about I'm okay, you're okay. It's transactional analysis. And one of the points T.A. pointed out is that nobody can make you feel a certain way that you don't allow them to make you feel. And both my wife and I grew up in households that were very aware of transactional analysis because of the professions of our parents. So my wife tells me that at one point when her mother looked at her and said, you're making me angry, my wife looked at her and said, I can't make you angry, <laughs> which probably doesn't play along real well <laughs> for a child to say that, but is ultimately true. You can't make someone happy. You can't really make them angry. I do think you can do things, though, that contribute to their misery. You just can't make them be happy. So part of what we're looking at is what am I doing that may be contributing to the misery of the household, the misery of my spouse? Is there a place for me to move away from that? Am I doing things that are making my spouse miserable, recognizing at some point that's only kind of true? You just need to be aware of that fact. The second thing is you can support your spouse's pursuit of happiness. And this is very important. There's a lot of research is showing that what keeps people married Why people stay married is when they feel supported in one very important part of life, and that is their self-expansion. It's a great term, self-expansion. It's not about self-growth. Now, that is a piece of self-expansion, but self-expansion goes beyond that even in our pop uh, psychology-dominated world. Let's say your spouse decides to take on a new hobby. That's an example of self-expansion. And if you say, oh, you can't do that, there's no way you can do that. You don't have time. You don't have money. You don't have the skills. You don't have whatever. You're blocking self-expansion. If you say, hey, that's great. Let's figure out how to have that happen or how can I support you in that or what can I do that would help move that along? That's supporting the self-expansion. Let's say a spouse says, you know what, I think I need to deal with some of my emotional stuff and and some of my pains from childhood. Maybe I'll go to therapy. Maybe I'll go to a retreat. Maybe I'll go somewhere. You could say, that's ridiculous. You just need to get over it. That would be hampering self-expansion. Or you could say, how could I support you in that? What could I do to help with that? That's supporting self-expansion. Or maybe a spouse says, you know, I think I would like to travel to this place or try this kind of food or learn a new language or learn a new uh, sport or hobby or or explore something else. Anywhere within that is self-expansion. And what we know is life satisfaction is tightly tied to that process of self-expansion. We as humans are wired to be learners and growers. We don't all keep doing that, but that's in our wiring. So when we feel like that part of our wiring is supported, we feel loved. 
so we can support our spouse's pursuit of happiness, not their happiness. We can't make them be happy, but we can support their pursuit of what they think might make them happy, and we can support their growth. That's all about self-expansion. The third thing we can do is accept our spouse. One of the places where I see lots of unhappiness in a marriage is a struggle of trying to change each other, or at least one person trying to change the other. That's a recurring place where the person feels like a spouse needs to do something to be better, to meet their approval. So part of what we can do is decide to accept a spouse just the way they are, however they've become, because that's our spouse. Our love transcends what might have changed along the way, but we keep working towards accepting who they are. Now, let me be clear. This doesn't mean we have to accept every way they treat us. There are times when anybody has to say, wait, that is crossing my boundary. If a spouse says, I'm violent, that's just who I am, that is not what I'm talking about here. It's very easy to sometimes pick an extreme in order to disprove something that we're struggling with, and this is one of those areas. We need to accept a spouse for the personality that they have, for the beliefs that they have, for who they are, for their appearance, for who they are becoming. We all want that, and it's not our right to judge who they need to be. So part of what gets in the way oftentimes of happiness is somebody feeling like they are constantly judged, constantly told that they're not okay, and constantly pushed to be someone that they're not. What we can work on is accepting our spouse for who they are and loving them as they are. And the fourth thing we can do is work on our own happiness, working on our own pursuit of happiness. And what does that look like? That's our path of self-expansion. It's our path of finding our purpose, finding our reason for being here, finding what's important in our life. Here's the interesting thing. When we work on our own happiness, we're often much more willing to allow another person, in this case, our spouse, to work on their place of happiness. When we're unhappy, we often drag other people down because we're not happy into our level of happiness or unhappiness. So we can work on our own happiness. And one of the things that often does is it brings new life into our own life. And that brings new life into our relationship. So instead of focusing on how can I make my spouse happy, let me encourage you to focus on how you can support your spouse's exploration and support your spouse accepting them for who they are, and then deciding to work on your own place of self-expansion, your own place of purpose. In essence, working on finding your own happiness. I hope this has been helpful. If so, I hope you'll share this podcast with other people. And if you need help in figuring out what you really need to unlock, not their happiness, but what you really need to unlock in order to get to the place where there is happiness in your relationship, where there is love in your relationship, please check out my Save the Marriage system by going to savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. Just go there, grab my system, and get started learning what really makes a difference in your marriage 
and will help you restore your marriage to one of love, respect, and one that you both will treasure. This is Lee Balkan wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com. Thank you.